Okay. <coughs> excuse me. I thought I was done. I wouldn't have done that on the microphone. <coughs> well, excuse me, because evidently I'm probably going to do that several times. So I'll try to catch it, okay? I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, if, if you are here with us this morning, uh, it, it is not by chance. You are not here by chance. And I'm so thankful that you're here. Today is a different kind of day. We normally uh, walk through entire books of the Bible together. That is our regular diet as a church. We start at the beginning of a book, and we go till the end. Uh, and so we're doing that with Isaiah right now. And uh, whether to your excitement or your disappointment, we are not going to be in Isaiah this morning. I'm not sure which it is for you. But we're not going to be in Isaiah this, this morning. And, and you, if you know me well, you know that deviating from that plan is not like me. Uh, but it's because of this. I've had many conversations this week with many different people. And the Lord has placed a particular burden on my heart that is so strong that I cannot deny it. And so I am excited to share with you this burden from the Word. It is, it is not my burden that I've created. It is one that is there in the text, very present, that the Lord has put on my mind and on my heart to share with you what He has said. I just want to make a very clear distinction this is not something that I personally am, am wrestling with in my own life, and I see it on display in the world, and so I just want to talk about a topic this morning. Incorrect. There is something very present in the text of Scripture that I believe is fundamentally misunderstood, and that if we could understand this one idea together, this is what is going to bring about this unity this purity of God's church, this maturity. There is something fundamentally missing that I would like to talk about from the text today. The question I would maybe start with is, what is the church? And I wonder if you had to define that, how you would define it. What is the church? Many of you probably at home this morning said, I'm going to church, or we're going to church, or whether you like it or not, get ready, we're going to church, right? Something like that. So you said something about coming to church today, did you not? You probably did. You said something about church. What did you mean when you said you're coming to church? I think I probably know what you mean. We all say that. We say it, right? By we, I mean at my house. We say that too, right? You might even say that we are at church right now, yes? You might say we're in the church right now. I'm driving to church. What do you mean? What is the church? But church is not something that you walk into. It's not a building. You know that. The church is, this is interesting, the church is God's house, but not in the way that you think. This building is not the dwelling place of God right? So when you come into this building, you have not walked into God's dwelling place, God's house. Incorrect. Now, I know that that's a common sentiment. You know, we're all in the Lord's house today, you know? Uh, that's, it's, it's theologically incorrect, though. That's not true. Now, it was at one time, as we read in the Old Testament, where God's presence would come and 
would fill a place, a space, correct? And God has done that still, but the space that he fills is a different space than maybe we think. The space that God fills, the space where God dwells, where the dwelling place of God is in the individual believer. You are the house of God. Should Christ be in you? But the building is certainly not. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. This is a sub point. I don't know that I'd waste your energy turning to this one. There's more to come. Do you not know that you are God's temple? You are God's temple. That is, if God's spirit dwells in you. And then he continues to say, so if anyone destroys God's temple, he will destroy him. God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So where is the dwelling place of God? Where is God's house? Here. When you say you came to church this morning, what do you mean? You are already the church before you came and gathered with the church. In fact, if we don't come together, the church is not here. What is this place? I think this used to be a tattoo parlor. You know, right? There's a, a water shut off right above our heads, right? Yeah. So th this building is just a building, right? We remember this, right? So when you come and you get ready and you come to church, as we say, understand that unless God's people are gathered, we're, wh what, what is the church? The word church in Greek is ekklesia. You probably know, it's a common Greek word, ekklesia. I, I also commonly said it, it means the called out ones, which I think that's, that literally is the derivative state of the individual parts of the word, but it, it became something substantive. So that, that's, okay, that's a little geeky, right? Uh, but it, w when you have a word, even you can't always divide it into its component parts, and it mean exactly what what, it, what the component parts are, but it takes on a meaning all of itself. See, the word ecclesia was used for hundreds of years before the church came into existence. And what did it mean then? It wasn't even used in a religious context. It meant an assembly, an assembly of people, those who gather, a community. It was used at politically, actually, in a, in a city-state. You were known as part of the community, the ones who assemble. So the word church means the assembly. You ever wonder where like the assembly of God got its name? It comes from the meaning of the word ecclesia, which means the assembled ones, the, the assembled, the, the community of believers. So it is a people who share a common belief, a common interest, and a common community identifier. Now, this works in a couple of different ways. There is the universal church, right? The universal church is all believers from all times and all places. The, the, the all times part is very important as well. All those who have had faith in Christ and are truly regenerate by the Spirit of God, they are part of the church, whether they lived 2,000 years ago or they are uh, living today, right? They're part of God's church. You understand this? Also, people all throughout the world, whoever calls on the name of Christ, he is part of Christ's church. 
Now, there is another part of this that is the local manifestation. The local church. And for centuries, local churches have been trying to figure out how they can be the universal church and yet be a, a local manifestation of that universal reality. And so I say all that to say to you this morning, this, what I'm about to tell you, is the longest I have ever prepared for any sermon, ever. Doesn't mean it's going to be a lengthy sermon. <laughs> so, you know, calm down about that. That's not necessarily what it means, right? In fact, I've been preparing for this sermon for 37 years. In a very rapid way over the last 13 years. In an increasingly accelerated way over the past seven years. Because I was raised in a church, United Methodist Church. I went to church. I went to a local church. But I did not become a believer until 2001. I was born in 1985. If you want to do the math, that's fine. I became a believer in 2001. I had already been going to church. And then I, I started going to another church. They wanted me to go, of course. Some of you know the story. I played the drums. They wanted a drummer. They said, oh, we want you over here. And then another church said, no, 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 we want you over here. So I actually went to two churches at the same time for quite a while, all just to play the drums. And then I, I ended up going to Bible college, right, story in itself. Met my wife there, so it's a good story. And then I was working in retail, and the Lord placed a burden on my heart to be in ministry. And so I was working full time. I couldn't figure out how to get a job in ministry uh, and keep my job. Those didn't go together. So I quit my job and, and took a very part-time youth pastor job at a church. Well, to make a long story short and to get to my point, I worked at that church and then I worked at another church and then I worked at another church and I had three really bad experiences in a row that cut me deeply. And I quit ministry. Reason being is because I knew that something was fundamentally wrong and it made me feel insane. Where I was, they made me feel like an outcast, like I was the one that was wrong. But I knew, I knew that something wasn't right. I knew it. But it seemed that no matter where I went, I, no one really agreed with me too much. And, and I, I said, this is very, very challenging for me, and it hurts my heart to be in these situations. And so... I, I got my real estate license, and we all see how that worked out. You know, I started selling real estate. But this isn't a story about me. This is a story about my preparation for today's sermon. So I, I, I wasn't in ministry, and then a, a, small, a small group of people. I, I can't even remember how many, 20, 25 people, something like that. It was meeting. Jimmy calls me up one day, Jimmy and Jeannie. 
meet me at Starbucks in Oak Ridge, right? And they say, hey, well, you know, maybe you come out one Sunday or something. And so we did. And I was not really ready to go back to church. Have you ever felt that feeling, by the way? I know many of you have. These things have cut me too deep. These things have impacted me too much. I, I see that there is not, I, there's corruption in the church, right? People have scarred me. People have hurt me. The leadership is not good. I know all the stories. I've been through the stories. I know. I agree with you, okay? But then the Lord started doing something, didn't he? Seven years ago, Fellowship Renewed Church was born. Why? Why did I, other than the obvious constraint of the Holy Spirit, why did I choose to go back into ministry? Risky. Why did I choose to do that? I want to tell you why. There are many people here who were not part of that initial gathering. There are many here who were part of that initial gathering, and you remember sitting in the carport, right? And dogs and chickens running all over the place. You remember that. But many of you were not. And so the very reason for the existence of this church is not known to you. You don't know why I'm here. And it has become evident to me, based on many conversations I've had with people this week, that the very reason we exist as a church has not been very well communicated over the last few years, but that's going to be remedied today from a particular angle. Why is it that I came back into ministry? Well, first of all, there was a group of faithful people who wanted to be devoted to the word. I said, now that's something people who want to actually hear from what the word actually has to say, that is something. That's better than I've had yet. And in many words, I said, if we're going to do this thing, we are going to do it from what God has said. Now, I probably said that every week in different ways, but we began immediately walking through whole books of the Bible, didn't we? And what was our purpose? What were we doing? We were attempting in every way possible to have a church that properly reflects what the scriptures teach about the church. I had been in circumstances where it wasn't done because people didn't know why they were there. Why are we here? What did you come here for? Are, we, are you here for a sermon? Are you here for music? Are you here because it's a gathering of people? Are you here because there's nothing better to do? Are you, why do we gather as a church? Why does our church exist when there are so many? How many churches did you drive by to get here? Why does our church exist rather than not exist? What makes us fundamentally distinct? I will not say unique because there are many churches all over this world doing exactly what we're doing. But what makes us distinct? It is what we believe about the nature of the church according to the word that makes us distinct. 
But what is the church? The church is the people and the way that we compose ourselves and live in this community, this assembly. What does God's word have to say about that? The concepts are very simple, but I want to show you. When you leave this room today, I will have argued to you definitively the nature of the church and what each individual disciple of Jesus Christ is called to regarding the church. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, which is only about 25% of you, so most likely you have not been there on Wednesday nights, but if you had been there on Wednesday nights, you would know that we've been talking about uh, the disciplines of the church and what impact certain elements of the church are to have on your life, right? So we talked about the nature of Bible reading, which I found out that not many Bible-believing Christians have actually read the entire Bible. I found that out, even of this church that prizes the word so highly. And in thinking about that single element, what does the Bible have to say about the church? And if you've not read the Bible and understood its concepts, guess what you don't know about? The church from the word. I know that there are many churches in operation. We can literally walk to I don't know how many churches. So why are we here and what makes us distinct? Uh, I'll, I'll begin before. We're going to get to a main text in the book of Acts. So if you want to turn to Acts 14, I'm going to read that. And before I, uh, before I really get into that text, I, I want you to... Uh, uh, oh, here we go. I'll just make it. You guys are busy. I'll, I'll do something. You ever seen this? Can you read it? There, read it. Yeah? It says, you belong here. Just place me in a parking lot. Waving people down. And this is what's on the sign. You belong here. You belong here. You know this is a, a common uh, marketing scheme for many thousands of churches. You may have seen it locally, I understand. This is a common church marketing scheme that many thousands of churches use. You belong here. I, I think this is fundamentally misleading. I don't know if you belong here. In fact, I, I would actually rephrase that. I know if you don't belong here and if you do. Because if you truly do belong here, I know your name and I know you. And if I don't know your name, and I don't know you, and I don't know where you came from, and I don't know anything, you don't belong here, and how can I make such a claim? Well, it all has to do with this idea of belonging, doesn't it? Look at the text with me, and hopefully what I'm saying is going to become very clear to you. Remember that I'm arguing a particular case today, which I believe is quite definitive from the word. Acts 14, beginning in verse 19. I will also say, last preface point, okay? I understand that what I'm about to show you from the word is not common in many churches, but don't think that I don't know that, okay? I know that. So this may challenge something that you have believed 
conceived in your own mind about the nature of the church. Are you ready? Here we go. Acts 14, beginning in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered him, he rose and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What you maybe saw, or maybe what you did not see, is something that I'm going to show you from uh, a handful of texts this morning, all shorter than the one we just read. This is a description of something, and not every description of a story in Scripture is something that is a prescription of a story in Scripture is something that is a prescription. Paul and Barnabas are traveling, spreading the gospel, and they make converts, disciples. They make disciples. Brand new people who are just now believing in the Lord. And they're making... So these cities that are mentioned, by the way, are kind of... They're right next to each other. They're not far away from each other, Okay? They travel by foot, and they're all in a line, so they're going from city to city and kind of backtracking. It's all in the same area. And so what they're doing is they're, they're taking those who believe the gospel, those who were converted, and they're saying, now, just go be a Christian. Is that what happened? They came back, and they said, now, all you who are disciples, we need to appoint elders for you. That's what just happened. And when they came back and they appointed elders for them in in every church, they're appointing elders for them as they go. Now you think, well, that's in cities. So there were elders in every city. At this time, there was only one church in the city. So the church of Corinth, the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossae, right? There was a single church in these particular cities. And, and now it, it grew over time, right? And we actually see evidence of that in the New Testament. But as it was, when these churches came about, then it, we can label them by city name. Now, if we were to say the church of Sparta, <laughs> which one of the 10,000 are you talking about? So it's, it's not the same, is it? Now, what they were doing was they wanted to make sure of something in particular, that when these people were converted, that they were not left to themselves, I hope that you see that clear as day. When these people were converted to Christ, they were not just left to themselves to go and live their Christian life however they want. It's not a biblical concept to just go and be a Christian however you want. It is fundamentally different. And to say, without even knowing you, without even knowing if you know the gospel, you don't even believe me. You're what, you, you belong here, though. You belong here. As we go, you're going to see how, how much more and more that is an outrageous claim. So, here's what's being said. Where do you belong? You all belong here. 
and here's your elders. You all belong here, and here's your elders. And you all belong here, and here's your elders. Now, good. That's how it should be. So what the church looks like today? In the words of John MacArthur, I don't commonly quote, this is good. The idea of an independent, freewheeling Christian is entirely foreign to the minds of the apostles and the New Testament authors. An independent, freewheeling Christian is entirely foreign to the minds of the New Testament authors and the apostles. That wasn't a thing. You're not independent. You belong. You belong to a particular gathering that has particular elders over it. This is not the only place that we see such a thing described. So look with me at one verse, Titus 1.5. Titus 1.5. I'm going to read it. I'll probably read it a couple of times so you can still turn there. This is why I left you in Crete, an island in Greece. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might take what is there, what remains, and put it into order. And here's how he did it. Here's how he put things into order. Appointing elders in every town. That's how he did it. That's order in the church. Is that there are not independent, freewheeling, I love, I love that description, that the independent, freewheeling Christians don't exist but they are put under the care of elders that are appointed to them. Guess what? That's, that's not the only place that we find this. There's more. This is why I left you in Crete, because there is order in the church. It's not something that we just make up. What you have already seen, actually, in two places is that there is a singular, single church with a plurality of elders over top of it. Single church, elders, plural. That is not the common church governing approach. It is not foreign. It is not unique to us. It is not common, however. Most churches, the churches that I was on staff at, I told you my little bit of my story, a little snapshot of my story. None of the churches that I was a part of were led by elders. It was pastors and staff with undercover deacons. Right? Say the pastor is not really. That's just the facade. I'll show you who's in charge here in just a second. So there probably, if I had to guess, what most of us have seen, unless you were raised in a particular church context, that the model that you have seen displayed before you is a pastor or staff-led church, possibly a deacon-led church, but ultimately, there's, there's, there's one person at the top. The common model, particularly in the South, U.S., is the single senior pastor-led model. I call it the dictator model. He's a good dictator until the people overthrow him, which they do about every two to four years. Right? So, this model, however, is not found in Scripture. There is a plurality of elders appointed to a particular group of people. This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, 
to establish this system. This is how the church is to be run and governed. So here it is again. Let's go back to the book of Acts just for a second. Acts chapter 20, just again, one verse. You can go back and read this whole story. Uh, You should. This is when, the other Wednesday, I talked about this story in a little bit of detail, but this is when Paul uh, was in Ephesus, and there was a big uproar about worship of Artemis, and uh, they, the, uh, Paul was basically run out of the city, and he wasn't going to see the Ephesian elders any, uh, again, and so he called for them, and he called for the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he said, come to me, because there's something I have to tell you before you're never going to see me again, and listen to what he told them. Acts twenty twenty eight. Paul's charge to a group of elders over a single church in Ephesus. Pay careful attention to yourselves and listen. And to all the flock, which flock? All believers in the whole world. Pay careful attention to all of them. That's your job. Incorrect. To all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church which he obtained with his blood. The Ephesian elders were not held accountable for all believers all over the planet. They were held accountable for the particular flock that God had given them charge over. Care for them. They are the flock that God has given you. They are appointed to you. Care for them. Be careful in what you're doing. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers of that group of people. Another one. We only have two more in this particular point here, but I told you that I'm going to argue my case here from Scripture, which I think is a very clear, emphatic case from Scripture. I don't want you to leave doubting. I don't want you to have thoughts in your head about, I don't know, this seems wacky. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this one. It, it actually is getting more narrow as we, as we go through these passages. It's, it's becoming more defined what we're actually talking about. So, this is Peter talking. Do you think Peter understood Jesus' plan for the church? Peter, the the apostle Peter, right? If Peter didn't know, I I don't know who knew, okay? This is Peter. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And here is what he is telling the elders who are reading the letter to do. Shepherd the flock of God that is all over the world. What does it say? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Because that's your flock. You don't have two flocks. You have a flock, and that is yours. That is your flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And here's what you need to do. Exercise oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to them. And when the chief shepherd appears...
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This, <laughs> my, my passion for what God has called me to do sometimes is a little bit overbearing. Ask my wife, because she has to deal with it on a daily basis. I am absolutely passionate about what God has called me to do because if I were not, I would do something else. Do you know the reason I live in Sparta, Tennessee? We didn't just look this church, church up or the city up or say, oh, that's a cute little town. It's got, in God we trust, on the courthouse and everything. And I said, this is a great little place to live. Settle down with my family. Incorrect. I only live here because this church exists. If this church did not exist, I would not live in Sparta, Tennessee. I am here for this church. And who or what is the church? The building, the operations, the programs? You are the church. So why do I live here? For you. For you. I'm not here to run a business. I'm here to shepherd the flock of God. And be examples to them because as you have been given charge as a shepherd, there is a chief shepherd watching. And he's going to give you the unfading crown of glory for your work so long as you do your work. Do your work as a shepherd. I intend to. Not perfectly. But I intend to do everything that I can as a shepherd. Why? Because I take seriously what the scriptures are telling me. So next, Hebrews 13, 17, my final passage I want to show you about this. Listen to what it says. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So here it is. If you are the independent, freewheeling Christian type who likes to just be a Christian and attend a church that you like because you like the preaching, maybe, uh, because you like the the music, maybe, because you just like the people here because they're nice and they're friendly people, you know, maybe. Um, because you know, you have family who go here, uh, something like that. And so you've found a cute little, you know, church in a cute little town to uh, go to church. And uh, ultimately, you're just doing your own Christian thing. You're going to believe how you want to believe. You're going to act how you want to act. And that's just, that's the nature of it. I'm a Christian and I'm just going to be my own Christian thing. I have the Bible. I have faith in Jesus. I don't need anything other than that. And you are dead wrong. That is a foreign concept in the minds of any of the New Testament authors. You cannot be obedient to Hebrews 13, 17 if that's the way you think. Obey your leaders. What leaders? I don't have any. I'm my own leader. 
and submit to them. Submit to who? I'll submit to myself. Whatever I, I want to do is what I'm going to do. And if I want to go to church, I'll go to church. If I want to participate, I'll participate. If I want to believe this about that, I'll believe that. There is, I can do whatever I want. I can believe whatever I want. Foreign, a foreign concept to the New Testament. It means it doesn't exist. It's not there. Now think with me, though. Is that a foreign concept in our world today? Actually, what's more of a foreign concept is joining a church and submitting to the elders who are caring for that church and living their lives to shepherd the flock of God knowing they will have to give an account for such. That is foreign. It is the reason our church exists is because there was a fundamental understanding of what the nature of the church is. And if I am having any part of this, we are going to get this part right. And so I just want to encourage you not to demean you, not to beat you up with this. But there are many of you who have come and brought yourself in and among us, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. I'm so glad that you enjoy being here with the people and the, the teaching and the community that we have here, but I am not your elder. I am not your leader. I am not your pastor. I have one flock of God. And how do I know who they are? They are the ones who have entrusted themselves to me and currently to Jimmy, to our elders. Right? What is the way that you do that? With all the other churches, how do I know if you don't belong to another church with another, with another set of elders over top of you for spiritual insight? I don't know. How do you do that? How do you make a distinction between being a freewheeling Christian and just saying, yes, you are my pastor, you are my elders, you are to hold me accountable, you are to exercise authority, you are to care for my soul. How do you do that? By joining the church. That is how you do that. That is the formal way to say, I am coming among this flock for care and for oversight and not another. Can you imagine a sheep that wants to join a flock for today and then say, all right, I'm out of here. And then you go, I'm going to be with this flock. And the shepherd said, that's a foreign, I don't know who you are. You may be a sheep. You may be a sheep. I'm not saying you're not a sheep. But where do you belong? If you are not a member of this church, in that sense, you do not belong here. But I would like for you to belong here. So maybe you've had a misunderstanding that if you simply come and sit in the seats and hear a sermon, that I'm your pastor. But you're wrong. I'm a pastor of Fellowship Renewed Church to the flock that the Holy Spirit has made me an overseer. Think with me about a couple of questions. Who am I accountable for? Who am I accountable for? I will be held accountable. Who am I accountable for? If you just walk in the street and you say, yeah, I'm, you're accountable to me. I don't know anything about you. I, don't, I know nothing about you. Uh, maybe I know your name. Oh, I get to know you a little bit, but still. I, we have never entered into that kind of agreement. I was never appointed your elder. Right? 
So I don't know. Who am I leading? Who am I caring for? Whose soul am I keeping watch over? Who is in my charge? Who are those I need to be paying careful attention to? This is all biblical language about elders, right? Who is it that composes the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made me an overseer? Am I accountable for everybody who walks through the door? Am I accountable for those who casually attend? First Corinthians 14 speaks to this. First Corinthians 14:23, and it identifies the fact that there are those who are the church, there are those who come in among the church who are outsiders, and there are those who come in among the church who aren't even believers. All three categories are recognized there in First Corinthians 14:23. You come in and you sit, you're kind of, you're an outsider because you are not part of the flock. Now, we're not saying you're not a believer. Hey, that's not what we're saying. That's not, that's not what we're saying. But you are still considered an outsider because you have not yet said, this is my church and these are my elders. I hope you see that clear as day. And what God wants from you is not something I have created. I'm not crazy. I have to tell myself that. I'm not crazy. Do you, do you know, by the way, do you know that I've been called a cult leader? This is why. This is why I've been called a cult leader. Because I have passion for the flock of God. And I see it the way the New Testament sees it. You are a cult and I'm your cult leader. Or is that the case? I just want to ask another question here. And we're wrapping up, okay? Can just anyone join the church? Because maybe you've heard this and maybe you've seen in the text, which if you haven't seen in the text that there are particular elders over a particular group of people and they're appointed to such, if you haven't seen that in the text, you either just haven't been listening or you are spiritually closed off to the idea. Can just anyone join the church, though? You say, okay, I hear you. That sounds great. So let me join the church. No big deal. It's just putting my name on like a piece of paper or something, right? Mm -mm. That's not what it is. Have you heard the weight that comes with your elders when you come and join the flock? That they are caring for your very soul? This is where the idea of, of a church discipline comes from, yes? Purge the evil from among you. How do you do that unless you actually belong here in the first place? 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Not meaning the sexually immoral of the world. That's not what I mean, because you'd have to go out of the world if that's what I meant. But I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who, who bears the name brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with someone like that. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And the implied answer there is, but yes. So, 
You know, the whole, I get that it's a, you know, Christian lingo thing. Don't judge me. You know, we're not supposed to judge. Actually, you're wrong about that too. We are supposed to judge inside the church. We are supposed to judge. Because that is a matter of keeping one another accountable. Accountable to what? Underneath what authority? Underneath what structure? There has to be a structure and God has designed it. Neglect that structure is to neglect what God would do with you in your life. Do you see the place of the church in your spiritual life? God wants you to be part of a particular gathering with particular elders exercising oversight over you in your spiritual life. For those of you who thought you got a pass today because you already know this and you're already part of the church, just hang on with me just a second. You can see that concept, I won't read it, but Matthew 18 that talks about church discipline, how if you're not actually under anyone's care or authority, then the whole concept of church discipline doesn't even make sense, right? Because you have no authority. There is no one to get you in trouble. And is that the way God would have it? No. It's a foreign idea but it is a very prevalent American, in particular, American idea, in particular in the Southeast United States. Rather, what we do, instead of just come one, come all, who wants whoever to join the church, everybody say amen, amen, and you're in. Incorrect. I don't know. I am about to exercise care over you and authority over you and oversight over you, and I'll be held accountable for it. And if we know that church discipline exists, why would we ever bring someone into the fellowship who then we would have to turn around and kick out? So it only makes sense that we evaluate a person's life before they are integrated into the body. Correct? My logic is not flawed. I did think I was crazy on that until I read this. Charles Spurgeon. Whenever I hear of candidates being alarmed at coming before the elders, it's not just us, or seeing the pastor making a confession of faith before the church, I wish that I could say to them, dismiss your fears, beloved ones. We shall be glad to see you, and you will find that our interaction is a pleasure rather than a trial. So far from wishing to repel you, if you really do love the Savior, we shall be glad enough to welcome you. But if, if we cannot see in you the evidence of change, we shall kindly point out to you your fears, and we will three times over point you to the Savior. But be sure of this. If you have really believed in Jesus Christ, you shall not find the church terrible to you. They had membership interviews. Why? Because if you are coming in among us, among the sheep, and we as elders are exercising care and oversight over you, and we are held accountable for such, then we need to know who you are. We need to know that you believe what we believe. We need to know that you understand the gospel. We need to know that if there is evident sin in your life, that that's being dealt with, right? What's the point of membership? I don't see the benefits. Well, can't help that for you. But what I can do is I can say, 
the idea of not being an identified member of a local body with particular elders over top of you exercising oversight, that idea does not exist in Scripture. If you think you found it, I'd be happy to discuss that with you. However, you're not going to find it. I know. I'll leave you with one final passage. Turn to the book of Ephesians with me, and I will say I appreciate all of you this morning listening to me. I appreciate all of you bearing with me as I bear my soul to you and as I communicate to you why we exist. We are not here to get a bigger building, to have better musicians, a better place to, you know, one day we'll have a building where we have like a, a kids program and a women's program and a name, whatever. Whatever you want to throw in there, just add program at the end and it's the church. These things fundamentally misunderstand the nature of the church because it's about operations. It's about facilities. It's about money. It's about numbers. I left that world behind, and I will not enter back into it. And so I want to be very clear that our church will not become that. So if that's the kind of church you want, this is very much the wrong place. I am concerned with exercising care and oversight over the flock that God has made me an overseer in doing, as I talked about this previous Wednesday, which most of you were not here for, about how important the sermon is to the life of a believer. How important is church membership in the life of a believer? It keeps you accountable to the word and to one another. To neglect it is to neglect something that your Savior has instituted for you. Now, I said I wasn't going to leave anyone out. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. For those of you who have joined Fellowship Renewed Church, and you have sat down with the elders, and you've talked about your story, and you tell us that you believe like we believe, you understand the gospel, um, what is the believer to do next? Because please don't hear from me that what I'm about to say, you're like, okay, you know, I love this church and I'm, I'm here, but what can I do to serve? What can I do to serve? How can I, what, 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 what kind of, you know, thing are we, are we lacking? Just like, or you're the humdrum, there's no service opportunities. That kind of, I'm, I'm about to, 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 to give you a fresh perspective. Ephesians 4 and like I said, this is our last text this morning, so again, thank you for bearing with me. I want to tell you one more thing that is on my heart that I can't leave unsaid, okay? So please, Ephesians 4, verse 11. I have been praying for you this week, let me say. I did not know who would be here this morning. I told not a soul what I was preaching on this morning. Jimmy found out a few minutes before service. That's it but I prayed that the Lord would bring every single person who needs to be here, here, and that he would leave the others out. 
You are not here by accident. Do not think that. Hear what the word is telling you. Hear my passion, please. But don't be convinced because I'm convinced. Let the word convince you, which I hope is happening in your heart. So Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16 says, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers, which may be translated pastor shepherds or, or pa- teaching, teaching pastors, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, so why is it that a pastor or a, a teaching pastor exists among you? Because someone needs to preach, right? I mean, who's going who's gonna to preach if we don't get a guy up there and preach? That's his job, right? Preach the sermon. Here's his job. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I thought ministry was the pastor's job. We pay him. He's in ministry full, like, you know, well, whatever. I think anyone who's actually committed to ministry is always full-time, no matter how much they're paid. But it's however you understand that, the American mindset of many churches is we pay you to do ministry and I simply come and reap the benefits. So add more programs so I have more stuff to do and places to send my children. We gotta back up away from that mentality because that is wrong, that's fundamentally wrong. Because this whole point is intended to equip the saints, the believers, to minister to one another. So if you come to me and you say, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. Just You just tell me, and I'm there. You tell me where to serve, and I'm there. You want to start this, and I'm there. You're, you're waiting for me to tell you what Scripture has already told you. To minister in the church means to love people, to care for them, to build them up, to hold them accountable to sin. Ministry means people, not programs. You want to know what to do? Call someone and tell them that you love them. That's what you can do. You got more time than that? Then call everyone. Who is the last person that you reached out to and said, I just want to say I was thinking about you today? Is there any way I could be praying for you today? If you belong to Fellowship Renewed Church, You are not ministering to the body. Why else are you here? Why are you here? What is your point of being here? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. Who's to do that? Is that my job? My job is to preach the word, to shepherd you and guide you through it, so that we all, by the Spirit, might be built up to minister to one another. One another. Don't wait for the program. Don't wait for the ministry. Don't wait for the text about the thing we're doing and this thing over here and that thing over there. That's wrong. I understand, though, that's the way that we're built because that's what we've known. I get it. I don't see that in Scripture. I'm sorry. So we're not going to be having the programs that you love so much. 
But what we will have, what I hope, are mature believers who actually care for one another. And that no matter what's going on in your life, ups and downs, all through the middle of it, here we are in our own flawed way. Admit it. I admit it. But here we are going through the ups and downs of life life together, but yet clinging to Christ all the way through it. That's why we exist. Not for the programs, not for the money, not for the seats, not for the experience. That's not why we're here. We are here to be Christ's church. All right, just let me finish the text. You guys are distracting me. (laughs) So that we might not be any longer children tossed to and fro by the waves. Tell me, how do you keep a child from being tossed to and fro by the waves? By holding them back. Who's holding you back from the waves? If you have no appointed elders over you, no one. You're going wherever you want to go. No one's holding you back. You're free. And it is unbiblical. It is is an unbiblical concept. You are not to be a freewheeling, independent Christian. It is foreign to the mind of the apostles and the New Testament authors. It's such a good quote, isn't it? I wish I came up with it. It's good. It's true. It's a good summary of biblical doctrine. So, rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up. That's what we want to do, right? Mature. We want to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body is joined and held together at every point which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, when each part is working properly, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it gets built up by the pastor that you paid to be there. So that the body builds itself up in love. Itself up in love. This is not a church where we come and fill seats. This is not a church where we just come and reap the benefits of whatever it is that you like. This is not why we're here. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to offer you a good church experience. This is not why we exist. We exist as a church to attempt in the best way that we know how to have a church that models the New Testament understanding, which means that we have a particular group of people under a particular set of elders, and you are having the word preached to you. Like I said, I already covered that in another session. But you are having the word preached to you, and in that, you are growing by means of the Holy Spirit and accountability to one another that you have signed up and you begin ministering to one another, and the church builds itself up in love. Is that the kind of church that you want to be part of? If so, it may be that you belong here. But let me tell you this, if you are a believer, you belong somewhere. If it's not here, go find it. If it is here, then what are you waiting on? I don't understand. Maybe it's sin in your life that you know is going to be called out if you have to have this creepy elder interview. (laughs) 
if that's the case, then you are beginning to reap the first benefits of church membership because you're realizing that someone is looking at your life. Right? You know, but you don't want to make it public. You don't want to clean up that area of your life. So you'll just bypass it. This is not, final, final thing here probably most likely, this is not based on one conversation I had with any one person. I had lots of conversations with many of you this week. Many people. So probably you're thinking, oh, he's talking about this because we talked about this. A lot of you are probably thinking that. I want you to know that a lot of you are probably thinking that. The Lord used those conversations to bring up something that has inspired me by the Spirit to be in ministry. This is why I'm here. This is why our church is here. It's not a game. We don't play a game. This is serious. Now, I hope that we're enjoying one another, that we're holding one another accountable, that we're worshiping together, that we have fun times together, that we rely on another, we can call each other, but we're also holding one another accountable to sin and that we're all believing the same things and we're holding people back from being tossed to and fro in the waves. I actually care that you don't get harmed by the waves. If you ever wondered... So that is why it says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls, but let them do this with joy and not with groaning. If you have young children, you know what that means. Stop, don't do that. And what's the response you get? Something that causes you groaning. A roll of the eyes, a pull away of the arm. Oh, that one gets me, right? Pull away of the arm. Who are you to touch me? you know? <laughs> this is us. You ever jerked your arm away from biblical teaching? Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me that that's wrong? Who are you to tell me? If you're one of the sheep here, I'm one of your elders. That's, I am not infallible, but if we're talking about the word, the word is the one that has authority. I'm simply trying to be a shepherd. Is this coming through? I need to end the sermon eventually. And so I will do that now. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for all of you listening today. I really mean that genuinely. I don't mind being here for a long time. I actually wish we were here longer. But for your sake, we recognize that, hey, we'll be together next week as well. This is, a, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Okay? I have not said all there is to say. Unless you would like me to. No. I, want you, I wanted you to know why I'm here, why our church exists. I also wanted you to know, as there were many coming in and uh, sitting, and, and I'm so thankful that you are. I'm so thankful that you are. Because you're starting to learn about who we are as a church you're starting to learn about what the scriptures have to say and about how they're a little different. Why are they different? Weird. You can use the word weird. That's okay. We're, they're a little weird. Why are they weird? This is why we're weird. Okay? I take very seriously what I do. And I care for all of you. And for those of you who are part of the flock of God, you never leave my mind. 
You think you do. You think you do. Just because I know who's not here today. My heart keeps a tally. I care for you. And I should. And I do it for Christ's sake. Not for my own, not for your own. For Christ's sake. This is his church, not mine. And so, yes, I care. If you have been inspired to do something today, please tell me. Tell Jimmy. If there's something keeping you away from joining the flock of God, make that right between you and your Lord. But to continue to not understand this concept is disobedience at a fundamental level. And I want you to know that. I want you to hear it from the word, and I hope that you have today.